Hallo, welkom bij deze podcast van de IEC om multiple myeloma. Mijn naam is Pieter Zonneveld. Ik ben professor of hematology in Rotterdam, de Nederlands. En ook de chair van de IEC Scientific Working Group on Multiple Myeloma. So this is uh, the first one of a series of three podcasts uh, funded by EHC. And the goal is to discuss multiple myeloma and its associated treatment, especially in the underserved populations. So these are populations uh, that have specific problems associated with multiple myeloma. Uh, the podcast uh, of uh, today will uh, focus on multiple myeloma and renal disease, which is a serious complication of multiple myeloma and um, that uh, uh, needs uh, to be attended to uh, very carefully. There are other podcasts that you can uh, access uh, and also associated resources. Uh, so in order to do that, please visit the EHA campus and you can find it at uh, www.ehaweb.org. I would like to welcome Professor Evangelos Terpos, who is an expert in uh, the treatment and of multiple myeloma, and especially also for patients uh, that present uh, with renal impairment or patients that develop uh, renal impairment during the treatment and the course of their disease. Um, we speak with Dr. Terpos in his office in uh, the myeloma unit in the University Hospital of Athens, And we are very glad that he made uh, himself available for this podcast. Professor Terpos, can you introduce yourself? Thank you so much, uh, Peter. Uh, I'm Evangelos Terpos. I'm a professor of hematology in the University of Athens School of Medicine. I'm working in a department of plasma cell dyscrasias. Uh, our department is dedicated in the treatment of myeloma and uh, the more rare plasma cell neoplasms like AL amyloidosis and Waldstrom's macroglobulinemia. And we have uh, uh, around 150 patients uh, newly diagnosed every year and another 120 treated every day in our outpatient department. So thank you. Um, so today we will discuss uh, renal disease. And uh, the first question that I would like to ask uh, to you is uh, why is this an uh, important uh, topic? This is an important topic because uh, we do know that 10 to 20% of the patient present with uh, renal insufficiency at diagnosis, but also uh, till uh, the end of their life or the end of the disease, uh, we may have around uh, 10 to 20% of the patients that may have end-stage renal failure, which creates a lot of problems, not only regarding morbidity, but also affecting the quality of life dramatically, especially for those patients with end-stage renal insufficiency who need hemodialysis. So this is a real problem for the patients. And I believe that uh, as we have the weapons to, uh, let's say, to fight with renal insufficiency from the beginning, we need to do that as soon as possible We need to be able to recognize it immediately and treat it immediately because we can reverse 50 to 60% of this renal insufficiency in our patients. Yeah, so you mentioned uh, between 10 and 20% of the patients have renal disease. Um, 
is there any difference across ages or other uh, risk groups of multiple myeloma? And what, what is the cause of it? Uh, why do these patients have renal disease and other patients don't? So first of all, we have uh, renal impairment because of myeloma and uh, for other reasons outside of myeloma when we see a patient with myeloma. The other reasons have to do with the age of the patients or comorbidities that can uh, happen. For example, hypertension, diabetes mellitus that can create renal impairment because of these diseases. But also the myeloma patients can have uh, the myeloma cast nephropathy, which may create uh, renal insufficiency because of the excretion of the free light chain in the urine. I think that uh, uh, when we talk about more elderly patients, then we can say that uh, the cause of renal impairment is half and half uh, cast nephropathy and other reasons outside of myeloma. Uh, but when we talk for younger patients, so below the age of 60, 65, I can say that the cast nephropathy is the most common cause of renal insufficiency in these patients. Hypercalcemia, which is uh, 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 another, uh, let's say, complication of multiple myeloma, as well as other causes like AL amyloidosis or amyloid deposits that can happen in myeloma patients may deteriorate the renal uh, insufficiency in these patients, infections included. Uh, and uh, is there a clear definition for renal impairment um, in multiple myeloma? And any international uh, guidelines or advices? Can you comment on that? Yes, uh, according to the uh, CRAB criteria that we have for the definition of uh, multiple myeloma that needs treatment, uh, the renal impairment is considered as a myeloma-defining event if the creatinine clearance is below 40 ml per minute or the uh, serum creatinine level is above 2 mg per deciliter uh, because of myeloma. If it is because of myeloma, then we can say that this renal insufficiency is the uh, R criterion of CRAB in order to start, to start treatment. But as I previously mentioned, we have other causes of renal insufficiency, especially in more elderly patients like diabetes, like uh, hypertension that may create renal insufficiency. And we need to be able to differentiate the two, uh, these two categories, myeloma-defining event versus a non-myeloma-defining event, because you may have a patient with creatinine clearance of 35, for example, and the cause may be hypertension. Yeah, so um, we know that uh, uh, often there's discussion in the clinic about the cause of uh, renal impairment uh, in those patients. Do you recommend any diagnostic procedures? Yeah, I think that first of all, the free light chains uh, in the serum is an important uh, um, uh, diagnosis uh, in order to know if this uh, um, uh, if the renal impairment is due to myeloma or due to any other reason. But definitely, we need to know the electrophoresis of a 24-hour urine measurement, where we can see if uh, the, in the electrophoresis the protein is albuminuria or non-selective proteinuria, or it is uh, free light chains. If it is free light chains, then we can say that this is because of myeloma and no renal biopsy, for example, is needed. 
But if we have albuminuria or non-selective proteinuria, then because other problems may happen, not only hypertension or um, uh, diabetic nephropathy, we may have light chain deposition disease, we may have AL amyloidosis, then we need to exclude these other plasma cell neoplasms. And in order to do that, you may have, of course, a fat biopsy in order to see, or a saliva gland biopsy in order to see if you have amyloidosis. But the preferred method, of course, is the renal biopsy, which is going to tell you exactly what's happening in the kidneys. So how, how frequently uh, do you perform a renal biopsy? Uh, some doctors are uh, kind of reluctant to do that. Uh, what, what's the, the real indication to perform this biopsy? For me, the real indication is in a patient with myeloma, if uh, the uh, uh, urine test in a 24-hour urine measurement, the electrophoresis, uh, so that we have non-selective proteinuria or albuminuria, then you need to have the renal biopsy in order to know what's happening. If you have free light chains in uh, the electrophoresis of the urine, I believe that you don't need something like that because the cast nephropathy is the uh, diagnosis that we are going to see with the renal biopsy. So renal biopsy only when we have albuminuria or non-selective proteinuria in 24-hour urine measurement in the electrophoresis of the urine proteins. Yeah, so now we are talking about uh, diagnosis and monitoring uh, already. What are the challenges uh, of monitoring these patients uh, once they have uh, uh, they, they are in the clinic or in the outpatient clinic? I think that um, uh, we have a lot of challenges in uh, patients with multiple myeloma because um, the serum-free light chain measurement is uh, uh, the gold standard, let's say, for uh, uh, following these patients. But uh, we have also to know that... Uh, uh, and of course, the creatinine clearance that we need to see it improved uh, with treatment. But another um, uh, entity that I want to mention uh, that we may face, not an entity, but a condition in myeloma, is at the time of relapse, the light chain escape. This happens in our series in around 15% of the patient. What does it mean that we have a patient with a heavy chain uh, uh, multiple myeloma, IgG kappa, for example, or IgG lambda multiple myeloma? And then at the time of relapse, uh, we have only the light chain that is excreted. And then if we are doing only electrophoresis of the serum, we will not be able to, um, uh, to, to find the progression on time. And if we don't do that, we may end up with a renal impairment, end-stage renal impairment, or patients need the dialysis. And in order to prevent that, we need to uh, have the measurement of free light chain also, uh, not only the serum electrophoresis that we are doing in all the test for myeloma, in order to avoid at the time of progression the free light chain escape. That happens in uh, 10 to 15% of the patients in our series was 15%. Yeah, so I think this is a very important message that uh, the serum-free light chain assessments are important in this group of patients, and especially uh, at relapse. Um, so... Um, the elderly patients were already mentioned by you. Uh, often there's comorbidities like diabetes or hypertension. 
Uh, is there any specific advice that you would like to, to give to uh, the people that uh, listen to this podcast? How to deal with the elderly or even the frail patients that present with uh, renal impairment? I think that the most important issue is to clarify if uh, the renal impairment is due to myeloma or is due to the other comorbidities that the patient has. Uh, this is extremely important because uh, if it is due to the other comorbidities, then of course we have to treat the patient according to the guidelines of myeloma and renal impairment, but then the probabilities of uh, reversing this renal impairment is much lower or even zero. So it is very important in order to know what we have to expect for our treatment if uh, the renal impairment is due to myeloma or due to other entities like hypertension or diabetes or any other uh, chronic uh, renal disease. I believe that uh, if we know it, or at least if we know at what percentage the renal impairment is due to myeloma and due to other comorbidities, we will be able to know what we expect from our treatment. Yeah, so now I would like to move uh, from, let's say, diagnosis and monitoring to what is the real impact of renal impairments on prognosis and on the treatment choices uh, that we uh, can make for these uh, patients. Uh, does it have a real impact on prognosis is my first question. It has a real impact on prognosis, and we can see that uh, from the staging of myeloma that includes beta-2 microglobulin. As you do know, beta-2 microglobulin is elevated in patients with renal impairment, and the stage 3 multiple myeloma has beta-2 microglobulin level of more or equal to 5.5, uh, suggesting that uh, these patients uh, or a lot of these patients may have also renal impairment. So from this point of view, we have an indirect uh, evidence that uh, we have a worse prognosis for patients with renal impairment as the stage of ISS is number three in almost all of them. Regarding uh, the true, uh, 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 the, uh, let's say the association of creatinine clearance with uh, survival, we have a lot of data suggesting that end-stage renal impairment has lower survival and uh, especially uh, lower survival within the first 12 months of uh, diagnosis. So uh, if you see the number of patients who die within the first six to 12 months after diagnosis, the vast majority belong to patients with uh, renal impairment. So now, um... Uh, we have heard about the uh, dismal impact of uh, renal impairment uh, on prognosis of multiple myeloma, and especially, I think, in the older population. Uh, so the next obvious question is, how does it influence our uh, decision-making on, on treatment and the, uh, the selection of treatment and, and the goals that we want to achieve? So does it affect treatment el eligibility, uh, Professor Terapos, and to what extent? I think that it is uh, crucial to treat the patients immediately. Hydration is crucial. Um, the ways to remove the free light chain is also extremely important. And the drugs that we use, for example, is also very important. Bortezomib is the let's say the cornerstone of the management of the treatment management of multiple myeloma regarding anti-myeloma drugs. So I think that it is uh, the two messages that we give to the uh, doctors that hear us 
is first of all immediate treatment, hydration, and uh, the anti-myeloma therapy is based uh, on bortezomib-based therapies. Yeah, so is the goal of the treatment to uh, get a renal response, to restore renal function, uh, or uh, does it go beyond that? Uh, I mean, clearly two goals. One is, of course, the renal situation. The other is the treatment of myeloma. Can you comment on that? Yeah, I think that our goal is to, uh, first of all, uh, to control myeloma, because through to the control of myeloma, we may control also renal disease. This is not always the case. We may control myeloma, but not be able to reverse, especially the end-stage renal insufficiency and especially the hemodialysis uh, um, uh, recovery. And... um, the independence of hemodialysis. Uh, However, with the immediate therapy, I believe that approximately 50% of the patients, even on hemodialysis, may become independent of it. And uh, we do have, uh, especially in the younger patients, a lot of cases where the creatinine clearance may become even normal. Uh, the International Myeloma Working Group has created criteria also regarding renal response, which is a complete, partial, or minimal renal response according to the creatinine clearance level that someone can uh, achieve with the specific treatment. So, for example, if we manage to have a creatinine clearance above 50 or 60, then we can say that we have a complete renal response. And this is associated with the response of multiple myeloma. So, I think that we need to treat our patients with the best treatment that we can, based on botezomib, at least for the diagnostic the diagnosis uh, patients with renal insufficiency in order to be able to reverse the renal impairment and also to reverse the the impact, uh, the poor prognosis impact uh, on survival. On the other hand, for patients at relapse, we have never to forget that even if we have managed to reverse the renal impairment at diagnosis, at the time of progression, this may come again and even worse. So we have not to be, uh, let's say, not uh, to to be, to feel relaxed if we manage to uh, reverse the renal impairment and to have even complete renal response, because at the time of progression, we may face similar or even worse problem with renal impairment. And we have to be very careful. That's why I suggest the measurement of serum free light chains in every visit of the patient for the workup. Yeah, so uh, as you said, bortezomib uh, is the cornerstone of the treatment. Uh, uh, do you, uh, I, have, I have two questions there. Do you prefer a single agent uh, treatment with bortezomib or a combination treatment? And my other question is, if the patient uh, responds uh, to this treatment for his myeloma, but the renal situation does not improve. Do you switch regimens or any advice? First of all, we have a very important uh, study of the French myeloma study group by Bidou and colleagues uh, in General of Clinical Oncology recently, 
which show that if uh, you compare velcade plus dexamethasone or velcade plus cyclophosphamide and dexamethasone, the addition of cyclophosphamide could not offer any important, uh, any advantage, let's say, regarding renal response uh, and independence of dialysis. So in your questions, I would say that uh, we can start with velcade and dexamethasone. In what we have seen is that um, the high-dose dexamethasone is probably needed for the first cycle of treatment. So the four days on, four days off that we used to use with the VAD, the, the very old regimen that many of our doctors that hear us probably don't know, um, the high-dose dexamethasone is of importance and we suggest that at least for the first cycle, uh, the patients have to be treated with uh, four days on, four days off of uh, high-dose dexamethasone. Velcade has to be the standard of care. Um, possibly the use of thalidomide, if you believe that this uh, is a type of regimen that we use in first-line therapy, may also be of benefit. Uh, however, there is no phase three uh, study comparing VD with VTD, suggesting that regarding renal, uh, uh, renal recovery, we have uh, better results with the addition of thalidomide. But we do know with the addition of cyclophosphamide, because a lot of people use VCD, uh, this cannot add anything regarding renal recovery. Okay, and uh, so if, if a patient... Um... Uh, is becoming or is refractory to bortezomib-based treatment, either at diagnosis or later on uh, in the disease. What are the alternatives? Usually, according to uh, the general guidelines, uh, ESMO EHA guidelines, we would switch to a regimen uh, based on an IMIT. But how do we deal with this in the renal impaired uh, patients? At the time of uh, relapse, I believe that um, for a renal impaired patients, I would not change uh, to an IMIT. I would prefer to go to another proteasome inhibitor like carfilzomib. And we do have data, at least from uh, the combination of carfilzomib with isatuximab, for example. Uh, and we are waiting for the results of uh, also uh, of the candor study for uh, the renal impaired patients with the a combination of carfilzomib with daratumab, of course, always with DEXA. So at the time of relapse, I would not go according to the guidelines for patients with renal impairment in uh, an IMID-based regimen. I would prefer to change the PI from bortezomib to carfilzomib. I think that we have very good data from um, uh, the two studies that uh, uh, compares carfilzomib with a monoclonal antibody against CD38 dexamethasone to uh, carfilzomib and dexamethasone alone. And uh, ISA-KD, ISA-tuximab-KD or daratumab-KD has uh, have shown very good results in patients with renal impairment. The ISA-tuximab-KD results have been already published, but the daratumab-KD results also are coming in the next AS meeting. So I believe that for renal impairment at the time of progression, Carfilzomib with the combination of one of the two monoclonal antibodies plus dexamethasone are the preferred regimens. So uh, last question on, on treatment. Uh, 
Uh, any uh, pomalidomide combination uh, can that be used in patients with renal impairment? Because it's often, uh, let's say, third-line therapy uh, in, in many patients. I think pomalidomide is a drug that can be used in patients with renal impairment, uh, uh, although we have to be a little bit careful regarding uh, neutropenia and uh, the infections, because uh, uh, although it is uh, not recommended to change uh, the dose according to renal function, we have seen in several patients that the neutropenia and especially infections uh, uh, in renal impaired and especially in end-stage renal impaired patient is uh, much higher compared to what we expected. Uh, on, the on the other hand, pomalidomide is a precious antimyeloma uh, drug that is used uh, third-line therapy as, uh, let's say, the standard plus something else. I would say that, again, the combinations of pomalidomide with uh, one of the two monoclonal antibodies, uh, isatuximab or uh, daratumab, but even with elotuzumab, has shown very good results in the uh, second or subsequent relapses and renal impairment, of course. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Uh, I would like to switch now uh, to supportive care and especially two uh, uh, topics that are frequently asked in the clinic. One is about uh, uh, hemodialysis and the use of specific membranes. Can you comment on that? Yeah, we have um, now two uh, randomized studies that have been published uh, a few years before. And um, both studies, I think, uh, have shown that the high cutoff membranes uh, definitely uh, do not uh, impact survival of the patients, which is a very important uh, um, endpoint. On the other hand, uh, uh, we have uh, publications suggesting that the removal of uh, the free light chains may be of uh, uh, benefit regarding renal recovery. However, the two randomized studies were not conclusive on that. So I would suggest that with uh, uh, the high cutoff uh, membranes, we are not uh, able to confirm uh, better and more rapid recovery of the renal function. And definitely we cannot uh, confirm better survival. That's why we don't use them in our clinical practice here in uh, Greece. Thank you. And another uh, question frequently asked is about, uh, uh, is for patients that do not uh, show renal recovery or response, and those patients are on dialysis for long uh, periods. And then the question arises, uh, is a kidney transplantation uh, possible in those patients? Can it be done? Uh, and what are the patients that you would like to uh, select for that? I think that this is a great question. So we don't have a lot of data regarding that. However, we have some data from the Spanish Myeloma Study Group uh, and others uh, that showed that a kidney transplantation may be uh, an uh, effective uh, alternative for those patients. However, uh, I think that at least in order myeloma patients to be in the list for a kidney transplant, uh, the patient has to be in complete response. In Greece now, they say in MRD negativity, although there are not a lot of data for that, but you understand because of the lack of kidneys for transplant and for the different reasons that a kidney transplantation uh, is needed, uh, the authorities uh, try to put a patient with myeloma into the list 
only if they are pretty sure that the uh, uh, the survival, uh, let's say, expectancy would be at least uh, of three or more years in order to include him or her in the transplant list. Uh, so uh, we do have the data suggesting that a transplant, a kidney transplant is feasible and can offer prolonged survival in some of the patients on dialysis. However, I believe that in several countries, patients with malignancies like myeloma need to have complete response from the malignancy or even MRD negativity regarding myeloma uh, before the authorities decide to put the patient into the list. But of course, this is different from country to country. Yeah, but I think you are correct uh, that in, in most countries, at least also in the Netherlands, uh, this is the policy. Uh, also because of the scarcity of, uh, of uh, uh, organs. So um, we are coming to an end of this uh, podcast. Is there anything that you would like to add or uh, give advice on for these patients with renal impairment? The major points that I want to stress again is uh, first that we have to be sure that the renal impairment of a patient with myeloma is due to myeloma or not. This is extremely important. And... uh, Never forget to have the measurement of free light chains in your standard follow-up in order to be able to distinguish the different types of progression, especially the light chain escape. And sometimes also we have even oligosecretory or non-secretory escapes. You have never to forget that. And the measurement of free light chains may help you in finding them on time and avoid renal Uh, problems in your patients. Yeah, so what we discussed is all evidence-based, more or less, and and based on a lot of experience in the literature. But now we are in an era where there are many new agents, uh, drugs for myeloma, and also especially uh, immune uh, treatments, uh, including uh, cellular therapies, uh, bispecific antibodies, and so on. Uh, We are not going to discuss this, but my question to you is, do you think that patients with renal impairment also qualify for these treatments? Uh, This is a a very difficult question because, first of all, I don't have the experience. Second is that the majority of the patients with uh, very low creatinine clearance or end-stage renal disease are not qualified now to participate in the clinical trials that... uh, Uh, we have with CAR-Ts. And uh, also our experience with, um, of course, autologous transplantation is that some patients uh, who have uh, also amyloid in their uh, kidneys, if they are not diagnosed before with that, due to albuminuria that the doctors have not uh, managed to capture and the renal biopsy has not been performed, uh, with the autologous transplant, they may have uh, this uh, so-called capillary leakage syndrome, and um, may create a lot of problems and may die because of the lung problems due to the syndromes and the ARDS. Um, Because the CAR T cells also creates a lot of inflammation, we need to be uh, very careful at least for the presence of uh, uh, this type of uh, amyloid deposits, for example, in uh, uh, the vessels of the different organs, but uh, of course, from the kidneys, it's much easier to, to, to uh, diagnose. 
And um, definitely we need data before suggesting in a patient with end-stage renal failure to have a CAT uh, performance. Well, thank you for this answer. I think in the future we will learn more about it. Um, I think we nicely uh, summarized uh, the, uh, what the issue is with renal impairment in patients with multiple myeloma and the impact it has on prognosis and on treatment uh, choices. Um, please, uh, if you are interested, read more in the extensive literature and also the uh, consensus guidelines by the uh, International Myeloma Working Group and uh, EMN and others. Uh, that may help you further uh, in your patient management. I would like to thank Professor Terpels for his time, his expertise, and also his very clear and helpful explanation uh, of this uh, situation in uh, myeloma patients. Thank you also, Professor Sonnevelt, for the kind invitation to discuss this hot issue, I think, for the treatment of myeloma. Yeah, thank you. And also, I would like to remind the listener that uh, this is one podcast in a series of three on multiple myeloma. Um, uh, the other ones uh, are with other experts, uh, and the topics are uh, the clinical challenges in multiple myeloma uh, for a whole range of situations. And uh, the third one uh, will deal with uh, multiple myeloma in elderly patients and especially in the frail. I thank uh, the listener and the team for uh, their help and their attention, and especially, as I said, Professor Terpels. Thank you.